Hello and welcome to Wonderground, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people and try to get Hallie to explain it to us. This week we're focusing on... 4-H and FFA, because they're pretty much the same, right? No! (laughs) Not even close. All right, let's go! You sounded like you were trying to sell me cereal when you did that intro. Like I was trying to sell you cereal? Yeah, like on a TV commercial or something. Because of the way I talked about 4-H and FFA? You just got like that cadence in your voice about like... I was just doing my welcome to the podcast voice. (laughs) Exactly. That's the voice I'm talking about. All right. And I peaked a little too. Oh, well. Sorry about that, listener. Dad, do you know the Dixie Chick song, Goodbye Earl? No. Really? I mean, if you play it for me, I might recognize it. Well, I, I can't do that because I don't know enough about how you have our setup, Mike. But it's a very good American classic song. Okay. And in it are the lyrics, Marianne and Wanda were the best of friends all through their high school days. Both members of the 4-H club, both active in the FFA. That sounds like they're really busy. I mean, Because you were in 4-H, and you were always doing stuff, and I can't imagine you being in both. My gosh. Well, FFA is a little bit different. Yeah, but I mean, they probably were busy, but it's a good song regardless. You should listen to it. Okay. I'm very pro-Dixie Chicks. I'm going to actually make a statement and say that this whole podcast is a pro-Dixie Chicks space. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I like what I've heard. They've got good music. They've got a good sound. They've got beautiful voices. Yes, they're great. Love it. Love the Dixie Chicks. But even though it's a pro-Dixie Chicks episode, yes. that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah, correct. We're here to talk about 4-H and FFA. But I think that that's one of the places that people might have a modern reference for 4-H and FFA. A lot of people don't know that it still exists. The but, Dixie Chicks? No, 4-H and FFA, like oh, those okay. two entities. Like, they seem kind of lost in the past, I think, for a lot of folks. So. Right. They are modern. The Dixie Chicks are singing about them. I will say, pretty much every time I would tell someone that you and your sister did 4-H, yeah. they thought you were raising an animal yes. or something. Yeah, yeah. And for most of 4-H's existence, that's a lot of what 4-H'ers did. Okay. So not so much anymore. They're really trying to, like, expand their message. But... 4-H began in the late 19th century as a way for these new ag research. We talked in a couple episodes, actually many episodes ago, about the extension arm of the land-grant universities here in the U.S. And 4-H began as an extension of that. So 4-H works directly with cooperative extension as basically a way for scientists and extension agents to work with kids to get them more interested in new agriculture technology. So... 4-H is an extension of extension. It is a wing of extension. (laughs) It's the extension extension. It is not an extension. It is an extension wing. It is a project of the extension agents. All right. So because it is hooked up with the extension system, there is actually 4-H in every single county and parish throughout America. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that widespread. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, kind of because it is created as this imperative, it's, it's tied to this system that exists universally throughout the U.S., it is something that is kind of trying to grow and adapt based on where they are. So there's a lot of push in 4-H 
to do more things around STEM education, to do more things around civic engagement, healthy living, leadership skills, which is a lot of what I did. I remember you doing Lego Robotics. That was actually not at all 4-H related. That was a different organization, but I did do Lego Robotics. You're correct. Wait, what? I'm positive that was 4-H related. (laughs) No, that was a different different thing. That had nothing to do with 4-H? No. At all? Nope. You're sure? I am sure. Yep. I'm going to ask your mother about this one. Okay. Okay. You do that. A lot of my, I did a lot of like environmental activism work through 4 H. Okay. Ringing any bells? Yeah. I remember you, uh, I remember you pulling up a lot of trees. Yep. With a group that you started with your sister and your cousin. Yes. Lots of that was through 4 H. Oh, I see. I thought that was just something y'all did. I didn't know that was through 4 H. You just thought that was like a lark? Uh, I didn't think it was a lark. I thought it was a great project that you started. Yeah, no. So a lot of that did happen through 4-H and grew through 4-H. It was actually a separate organization, but a lot of it was also through 4-H. I also did a lot of public speaking and a lot of my theater I turned into a 4-H project. So 4-H is kind of a cool system where basically if you're a kid and you want to do something, you can find usually some kind of umbrella under 4-H to do it under, and then you can write it up, and eventually you can kind of become qualified for a lot of scholarship money, which ended up happening to me, even though I didn't really do anything related to agriculture in 4-H itself. No, but you definitely qualified, and you did a lot of stuff through 4-H, and I remember you making a pie. I actually did make a pie, yeah, It was really good pie. (laughs) Listener, if you go buy a box of tapioca... And you look at the recipe on the side of the box for strawberry rhubarb pie, and you add white chocolate and orange zest and maybe some other magic, you will have a pretty close approximation to the pie that Hallie made, and it is delicious. Yes, I made a strawberry rhubarb pie, and it got a, I think, a blue ribbon at County, which is like one step under first place. It's so it's technically first place, but grand prize is higher than first place. Because you forgot to include the recipe. Oh, is that why? I didn't yes. remember that. <laughs> um, yeah. So 4-H and also FFA are very tied in with counties and so are tied in with county fairs. So a lot in a lot of rural areas, 4-H projects turn into big money makers for rural kids in terms of college funds and stuff like that. Because if you do things like make a pie, you, they have photo projects usually animals can always go to like county fairs and if they place then usually they'll go to auction and then philanthropists will purchase your pies or pictures or animals or whatever it is Um, you can also have textile projects you can have wood carving projects all these different things and then they will go to auction and then you'll get the money and you'll be able to reinvest it back into yourself there's stories of kids like buying houses out of high school with all of the money that they won at county fairs because they were just very very good at raising goats or something like that. Wow. Yeah. It's a pretty cool system. And someone gets to eat a delicious pie or animal. Absolutely. And it's not, It's not again, just rural areas. You do have it. I lived in a fairly good-sized city growing up, and we had 4-H clubs. Yep. And I got scholarship money from being involved in 4-H, and I took things to county auction and all this different stuff. So I think something that everyone is wondering including me right at this moment, because I don't remember, what are the four H's? Head, heart, hands, and health. There you go. 
the motto is I pledge. Let me see if I can remember this. Okay. I pledge my head to clearer thinking, my heart to greater loyalty, my hands to larger service, and my health to better living. You pledge your health to better living? I, they wrote it in like the 1910s. I don't know what to tell you. That's what we say. That's backwards. But I <laughs> guess the intent is good. Yeah. So what else? So FFA and 4-H are often grouped together as if they're the same thing. They're really not the same thing. I think 4-H is from five years old up till graduating high school, whereas FFA is mostly just high school. So what do you know about FFA? Because I was in 4-H, but I was not in FFA. FFA stands for Future Farmers of America. And that's it. That's That's all all I know. Yeah. It's also much smaller than 4-H. 4-H has about 6 million kids involved. And FFA has about 700,000-ish. Okay. So quite a bit smaller, but still a lot of people. A lot of kids. Yeah. Still a lot of kids as youth programs go nationally. It was originally started in 1928, and they have a really big emphasis on service and kind of giving back to your local community and being involved. What kind of service? Mostly they're in rural communities. So FFA programs are often, instead of being tied with the county, are often tied in with the school and are taught by a teacher that is employed by the actual school in the area. Uh, So they usually do things around the school. Oftentimes they'll lead local events. Um, I know FFA kids who've done different things like animal judging at county fairs, who've done like public speaking workshops, a lot of like working with younger kids in the ag area. So are they as widespread as 4-H? Definitely not. No. So FFA is primarily rural. Um, But again, they are tied in with schools. So 87% of chapters are in public schools. 92% are at the high school level. So 4-H being in, you know, all areas of the U.S. and including all kinds of kids, this is a much narrower focus. Similarly, FFA came up uh, with the need for extension aimed at kids. So there was a lot of new technology. Farming and ranching was changing And extension agents wanted to connect to kids to, one, keep them involved in agriculture so they wouldn't exit the industry, and also to make them a bit more amenable to the new technologies that were coming up and a bit more aware before they started their farming or ranching careers. So it's another extension of extension. It's a... (laughs) This one I will definitely... Much closer to an extension of extension because this one is not really a branch of the cooperative extension program. It does it's it, it this one is kind of an extension of extension. I will give you that. Go me. That's how they were both co- kind of conceived as extension for kids. Yeah, I mean a lot of the idea is that farming is difficult and there's a, often a lot of technology that moves very quickly in farming and ranching. Um you have all of this research going on at universities that's not often done in conversation with people within the actual industry, right? It's often quite removed. So when things come on to the market as a new technology or a new concept or a new philosophy around how we manage farms, it can sometimes be difficult to translate that, right? Because they're not researched in a way that has industry first. They're I mean, they're researched by these researchers who have their own science goals first. So working with kids, you're kind of setting them up 
to frame this this upcoming research in a different way and they're going to be able to I'm kind of I'm kind of very politely trying to say that farmers get kind of ornery when you tell them what to do (laughs) and so if you get them as kids you can kind of tell them a little bit more about what's coming down the pipeline and what they should be thinking about well you know what else moves very fast what is this episode into the break Woo! here it goes (laughs) We got new patrons. We do have new patrons. Welcome so much to Maggie, Leah, Kate, Dan, Cheyenne, and Megan. And thank you so much to our Starfruit patrons, Lindsay, Vikram, and our new Starfruit patron, Mama Casey. Hey! Thank you so much. All of these amazing and wonderful and supportive patrons are going to get very cool limited edition stickers. If you are not going to get one of these stickers, but you still want some very cool one to grow on merch, we actually have an actual sticker for actual sale. For sale in a store. Yeah. Just go to one to grow on pod.com and click on merch. And we got a really cool sticker that Hallie designed. Well, I designed it in cooperation with our awesome artist who made our logo as well, Ash Walker. Um, Ash is a really cool artist. And if you go to our merch page, you can also find a link to their website. And they make amazing and beautiful art. And they made this amazing and beautiful sticker with me as well. And it's an amazing and beautiful sticker that you can have. So many superlatives in this mid-roll. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's a good week. I'm feeling so happy this week. It's been a great week. It's a great week. We had a great party last night. Thank you to everyone that came out. Yeah, we just had a, a first anniversary party because the 5th of October marked one year since we released our very first episode. One year. And yeah, it's just feeling good. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Now we're going to feel good. Going back into the episode. Back to the episode. So, Dad. Yeah. Do you have a nature fact for us? Yeah. Okay, what is it? So, the 4-H symbol is the four-leaf clover. Correct, yeah. With the, I guess there's an H in each leaf. Yeah, there's like four H's on the four clover leaves. Hence 4-H, yeah. And so I thought I'd look into four-leaf clovers. Uh Uh-huh. And it turns out there's about one in 10,000. So one four-leaf clover for every 10,000 normal clovers, which I didn't know. I actually thought they were much less common. But it turns out there was someone, according to sharetheluck.ch, that looked at... Sounds legit. What is a CH? What would that be? Chile, maybe? Chile or... or Sure. I don't know. (laughs) But... Someone that said they looked at 5.7 million clovers. Good Lord. Yeah. That's a lot of time on your hands. And the rate of four-leaf clovers came in closer to one in 5,000, according to their count. That's actually very common. Yeah. Yeah, That seems quite high. Not too uncommon. There are also five and six-leaf clovers. The five-leaf clover coming in at one in every 24,000 clovers, and the six-leaf coming in at one in every 300,000. Wow. So those are actually, like, pretty rare. The four-leaf clover being much more common. One in 5,000, you're not going to see a whole bunch lying on the ground. Although, if you do find one... Apparently, it's easier to find more because the plants are more likely to produce more four-leaf clovers. Yeah. 
You want to hear something crazy? What? There's only one leaf on a clover. What? It's just like lobed. It's just lobed. It's like one lobed leaf. So it's technically a tr- one trifoliate leaf versus one, I think it's quant- quadrifoliate leaf, which would be a four, a qu- quote unquote four leaf clover, but it's just one leaf lobed into four sections. I feel like my entire life has been a lie, and you are destroying my joy. I don't think I'm destroying your joy. That's quite extreme. Yeah, clover is actually a very good bee plant. If anyone's looking to replace their grass, clover is an excellent bee plant. By bee plant, you mean plant that attracts bees? Yes, yeah. Although one time I was going swimming with some friends, and we were walking down to the river, and there was like clover instead of grass because clover grows very well here in texas and like my friend was just walking and he goes oh i just stepped on a bee it was like the strangest reaction i had ever seen from anyone it's like oh stepped on a bee so wait we're way off topic here oh but if i rip up the grass in my backyard Mm -hmm. can i replace it with clover and it'll be fine and i don't have to mow it uh i mean you could still i mean it's still gonna grow so you might still want to mow it i don't know I mean, clover doesn't get very big. And do I have to water it? Does it just (laughs) take care of itself? I don't know. How do you know how big clover gets? I don't know. I've seen it before, but it never gets all brown and crunchy like my grass does. Where have you seen clover, though? Uh, In the backyard at your grandmother's house. Uh Uh-huh. There was occasionally a little clover plant. So, I don't know. I mean, we just did an episode on turf grass, right? So, we talked about grass. Yeah. Um... In terms of if you want to have a lawn, I don't know. What we talk about in agriculture is having like a well-balanced system for like a grazing paddock, which I guess is an equivalent kind of, is you want to have a mix of grasses, forbs, and legumes. So you want to have like something in the broccoli family plus a grass plus some kind of legume like clover. Whatever. It's yard work. (laughs) I don't have time for it. All right. Moving on. Uh, wait, I didn't do your tune. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. Get with it. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Nature fact. Nature fact. So we talked about 4-H and FFA. So what's left to talk about? Who are they for? Uh, Kids of America. Yes. uh, But most people associate these with just rural areas, right? True. So when I was researching this episode with Catherine, that was like one of our biggest questions is like, is this just for, for lack of a more nuanced take, white kids in the country? Okay. I feel like that's a generalization, but eh, maybe it's accurate. I mean, and it definitely is a generalization, but that's kind of what our question was, because when I think... When people think of these two organizations, the folks who are as, as, like a little bit familiar with it, that's what they are picturing, right? right? I mean, I know that's what I was before I really entered 4-H. And honestly, like throughout 4-H, that's... That's what you experienced uh, for sure. I mean, I am from Texas, so we definitely had Latinx people involved throughout 4-H. But yeah, there, there weren't a ton of black kids in any of the 4-H levels that I was involved in, which was county, district, and national. All right. So we kind of wanted to pull this. And 4-H does not release its racial data, but it does release its rural, suburban, and urban breakdown. And rural members are less than half of the 4-H population. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's mostly city kids. Yeah, it's mostly city and suburban kids, which is very cool. 4-H is working really hard to expand its message. They do things like teach coding now, which is so cool. Yeah. And they do lots of civic engagement, lots of leadership work. I did Toastmasters in 4-H, which is an awesome skill that they're I giving I do remember kids. that. Yeah, I got a trophy. No big deal. Yeah, you got up there and you spoke. I mastered the toast. Do you even have a toaster? <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think this is very cool for similar reasons why I got so excited about Extension when we did that last December, that episode. I just think it's very, very cool that the U.S. federal government has dollars allocated for youth programs like this to teach kids coding and to teach kids, including kids in cities as well as kids in rural communities, about things like growing their own food and leadership and freaking woodworking or whatever the kids are interested in, you know, cooking at home, all of these different skills, because we don't have things like home economics class anymore. I know you had that when you were in high school, but we, I did not have that. I know that, I don't know anyone who is in my generation who had a home ec class. And so the U.S. government investing money and resources and people into getting kids into youth programs, I think it's just very cool. Listener, just for the record... Hallie was homeschooled in high school, (laughs) so, like, every day was home ec in a way. Listen, no one taught me how to change the oil in my car, so... Do they do that in home ec? Yeah, right? I don't think so. It's like all the skills of, like, being an adult. They, like, taught you how to balance your checkbook, and they taught you how to... Isn't that... Weren't you in home ec? Mom said she was in home ec. Oh. No. I, I thought home ec was originally for women to learn to like clean and do laundry and yeah stuff to like and manage cook. a house yeah. yeah i think originally that's what it was but then it like expanded and then they like killed it okay yeah i took economics in high school which i didn't have a very good teacher so it wasn't super helpful mm-hmm. but i don't know anything about the home at classes of my day but regardless youth programs for kids yes very dope yeah that's a great thing Yeah. So in FFA, 56% of their membership is rural and 20% is classified as town. And then they have suburb and city broken down. So I would imagine town is also quite rural from what I would consider a rural area. Maybe small town surrounded by farms. Yeah, something like that. But I I would say that FFA is significantly more rural, small towny than 4-H is. Right. Right. they do release their racial data, so 4-H doesn't, but for FFA, 68.7% is white. The next number being 13.6% is Hispanic. And we have that in context with the breakdown of American children in general being about 50% white, about 25% Hispanic, about 14% black, about 10% Asian. I wonder what the breakdown of children is in the areas that they're actually in. Totally. And I wondered that too. We couldn't find that data from the census when we were doing this research. But that, yeah, I mean, most rural areas are not, like, there's not a lot of black people there. There's not a lot of Asian people there. It's mostly white and Latinx people. I don't have personal experience with FFA. Uh, It just seems like it has a much smaller purview. And 
I don't know. From what I can tell, it seems like the FFA is doing what it sets out to do fairly well. Um, it might not be the most inclusive organization, but it seems like it's offered in areas that don't have a very diverse population. And so inclusivity, while it is still very important, um, it's also important to get kids involved in agriculture and connected to resources. And there's a lot of rural poverty here in the U.S. And so having after-school activities and, and, and activities where kids can be involved in leadership and get more involved in school are still very crucial, even if, yeah, they, they might not be offered to the widest, diverse range of kids. Right. And these programs in these areas are very important. And to be sure, we don't have anything saying that FFA is explicitly any sort of exclusive organization, but you know the representation in the numbers do matter to some extent. Yeah, they did not allow girls until 1969, which is a bit late to be uh, admitting women, but... Yeah, that took them a while. 4-H has always been co-ed since it's conception, but they just had things divided along gender lines. So a lot of the the activities were just girls or just boys. Yeah, I'm really getting to be all about 4-H right now, even more so than when you were in it. I am very supportive of 4-H. I'm kind, I mean, I am a 4-H alum, I guess. I'm a lifetime 4-H'er. That's what we call it when you were in 4-H as a kid and you remain very supportive of the organization. But yeah, it seems like a very cool organization that honestly has a bit of a bad rap for being for just kids to raise cows in. And I think more kids should be involved in 4-H. Absolutely. So what do these organizations look like today? So 4-H partners with local businesses, both for monetary support and for mentorship for students. So we did this in 4-H as well a little bit where local organizations would get involved and students would be able to go and do shadowing for a couple of days or they would donate certain scholarships with that would be in the name of the organization. And FFA does that as well, and it's very cool. Um, FFA is also trying to get students involved in ag advocacy, which is also called advocacy, which is a horrible word to say and works much better as a written portmanteau than a, like one you have to pronounce with your mouth and lips, and ugh, it's just a bad word. But that's very cool. Uh, honestly, there's a lot of advocacy around ag, getting small business owners and kids interested and invested in an industry to talk with legislators to get behind a unified message around their industry is pretty rad regardless of the industry it's a little bit less rad because we've been doing it in ag for a long time but it could be a very cool model to expand out to other high school programs for other industries no i think that is very cool and anything that gets people more aware of how agriculture works, I think is a good thing. Totally, totally. In both 4-H and FFA, there's a lot of emphasis on including other areas outside of just production and getting kids prepped for other after high school paths, which is very cool. There's a lot of adaptation based on what the communities are interested in and what their goals are. Their roots are definitely in agriculture for both of the orgs, but they're definitely trying to adapt to the needs of the community, which seems very cool, especially in 4-H. They do a lot of different programs in inner city um, areas and in suburban areas where it might not be feasible for you to raise an animal or do something like that. Um, And so they're really trying to adapt their programming. Nice. Yeah, 4-H 
also has a very big initiative right now to make sure that the organization is safe for LGBTQ plus kids. So they're doing training for both kids who are club members and staff and volunteers as well that are adults. That is very cool. Very much love that. Very much a fan. And FFA is also starting chapters specifically for deaf students, which is a very, very cool thing as well. Yeah, way to go FFA. Love making spaces that are welcoming and inclusive for all kinds of folks. Yep. All in all, these organizations started off as very cool ways to get kids involved and make sure that they can become successful farmers and they have really evolved. Uh, Both of them are really playing, though, a key factor in getting more folks involved in agriculture. So honestly, that's how I got involved in agriculture. Like if I had not been in 4-H, I would not be in agriculture today. So 4-H is kind of being successful in getting more people in the industry, which we desperately need if we want to continue having an affordable food supply. I had no idea. I guess it's true because you got a scholarship through 4-H, but I never really directly associated it with what you wanted to study. Yeah, I got a scholarship through 4-H that said I had to study something related to agriculture. So initially my plan was to get a degree about agriculture and then also get my degree that I really wanted, which would be in theater. And then very quickly I realized I did not want a degree in theater and instead very much liked my ag classes. So I just dropped everything related to theater and just went into agriculture. As someone who does theater for fun, (laughs) I am so glad you did not pursue a degree in it. Oh, man. Love to all of you theater folk out there. You have a lot of great knowledge and you do a lot of great work. But this is my child and her future we're talking about. (laughs) And you do pretty great with the ag stuff, so... Honestly, yeah, I i mean, everyone listening knows this, but I love agriculture so much. And I am so grateful to, one, all of the adult volunteers that got involved in getting me into agriculture, all of the philanthropists who are like pretty much just corporations that are funneling money back into agriculture because they understand how important it is to get youth into agriculture and keep them supported, which we could get. There's like a whole lot of dynamics there that I could go into and talk about how That in some ways is problematic, but in a lot of ways, it's very helpful. It was very helpful for me. And I'm very grateful for the federal dollars that are funneled into 4-H programs because there is funding that's specifically available for 4-H programs to keep kids engaged and working through things like leadership and animal production and civic engagement and coding and all of these very cool things. Keep it going. All right. Well, is that about it? I think that's it. Well, you can have ours, by the way. It's kind of old and gross, but it still works. Our what? Our toaster. You said you didn't have a toaster. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you very much. I don't have the counter space because I do have a microwave, but thank you very much for the offer. I appreciate it. I mean, I kind of just want a new toaster. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It is produced by Catherine RJ and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. You can find all of our episodes as well as more information about the show and the team on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Join our community and learn more about each episode at patreon.com slash onetogrowonpod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, and even custom art created just for you. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears.
Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.